Hello and welcome to the 39th episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Green. Super stoked to be here with you. Joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Dave Latham. Dave, say hello. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to report that the Boston uh, almost 100-day stretch of title-free sports has officially reached its end. So if you like the Red Sox, you probably like the Patriots, so that's good news for you. If you're like me, however, you don't like the Patriots, um, so it's not it's not as liberating as it is for some of you. Um, but we're also joined with Chris Drozin. Chris, our wonderful producer, is he's here and he's better than ever, ready for a great show. But yeah, we have a we have have a very exciting interview coming up later in the show after we get through this intro banter um, with. SB Nation over the monsters, Matt Collins, and and we have some really good talk with him. He was an awesome interview, learning a little bit about his over the monster career, how he got into the to the business, and then talking about a lot of like a great palette of Red Sox topics. I feel like we hit on a lot of notes from from prospect stuff to more pertinent spring training uh, narratives. So please stay tuned for that. He was very, very, very awesome to talk to. I can safely say it's going to be the better part of this episode. Yeah, because uh, we don't we don't have a lot to talk about. I we mean, are great with weird, the leads. We, this is a this is a weird week. Um, you might, I mean, it might behoove you to just skip to that part. Um, just kidding. Um, but yeah, this is a this. There's been nothing happening. Like we can't even talk about Drew Pomeranz siding with the Giants or something to that effect. Like. This is this has been devoid of activity. There hasn't even been like any relevant minor league signings. So we are gonna try our best to come out with a compelling episode and and because we're so thin on material, we're just gonna do some season predictions and we're gonna be using Pakoda, which is a, a fancy algorithmic um, projection uh, that Baseball Perspective sponsors on their site. And we're going to go through, they just came out with their new stuff, um, I think, on February 7th. So that's today. And we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, and then we'll just see where it goes. The first thing that pops out to me, and I think this is the the what everyone kind of looks at projections for. The, I mean, individual players are obviously compelling. But they want to know what their team is projected for their 2019 season. And the Red Sox are projected for... A somewhat underwhelming ninety and seventy-two record. Now, in this projection, they are literally six games behind the Yankees, who are projected for ninety-six uh, wins and sixty-six losses. Tampa Bay is only four games behind them in eighty-six and seventy-six. You got the Cleveland Indians with ninety-six wins, blowing the Red Sox out of the water, and then you have the Mets at eighty-eight wins. So, there's some context for you. Um, I know projections are inherently conservative, and this is a little little much, in, in my opinion, defending World Series champs. Uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, first off, they're not going to win 108 games again. Let's just get that notion out of the way. Last year was once-in-a-lifetime dominance. It's not going to be that good again. But 90 wins, that's just insulting. I think, I think the baseline for this team should be 95, assuming no major injuries. Because you still have, like basically the same team as last year there's going to be a little bit of regression but we've spoke about this earlier i think that like you know sure mookie and jd they're still going to be great they won't be as good as they were last year 
But Raphael Devers, I think, is going to make a big jump. You can count on having Chris Sale for the second half of the season, which you didn't have last year. There's going to be enough good things coming back onto this team to cancel out the natural regression from some guys having career years. I think 95 to 100 wins is well within the realm of uh, possibility and should be expected. Yeah, um, I think that you, you hit on a lot of key points. 108 wins seems... A lot for any super team, any, any semblance of a super team to achieve. Because, I mean, just that takes a certain amount of luck, a certain amount of random variation. I know the Red Sox were awesome and had this quintessence about them last year. This little something extra that was magical and kind of palpable. But but 108 wins was never, I don't think any Red Sox fan expects them to live to that billing. Or um, getting close, I mean, 100 wins is definitely a possibility, but... 90 seems a little low, and as I've been going through like the breakdown of the projections, um, obviously Mookie and J.D. Martinez are pegged for enormous years, and even the position players are pretty much aligned with what they did. It's the it's the bullpen that I think we're all worried about um, that kind of stands out as like where this team is losing a lot of their of their projected warp, especially because you compare it to teams like the a team like the Yankees. With that stacked bullpen, and, and even the Rays, who have obviously a very good bullpen, that's how they managed to win 90 games last year, their their bullpen strategy. And then you look at the Red Sox, and, and you see uh, a team that is kind of devoid of, of Craig Kimbrell, of a Craig Kimbrell, and even like getting down, down lower. So I want to ask you, Dave, um, which Red Sox reliever you think will be as of now, because, I mean, things could change. We've got a couple weeks left. Craig Kimbrell's still a free agent. There's still some semi-appealing free agent. As of now, on the current Red Sox team, as of February 7th, 2019, which Red Sox reliever do you think is going to have the biggest impact and, and accumulate the most value? Uh, most value, I'm going to go with Matt Barnes, because he basically was that last year. Uh, Kimbrell got the save numbers, but Barnes was, by a few measures, better. By most measures, I actually believe um, he's improved every year he's been in the league, and that should continue. He's only, I think, entering his age 29 season. So this is right around the time where players like starting to reach their ceiling on average. I expect Barnes to uh, continue to be a really good pitcher. He'll walk more guys than you want, but that's you know that's kind of what you get with Matt Barnes. But I think yeah. he can be. I think he can be a serviceable closer if they go that route, or he can be an elite setup man if we bring back Kimbrell or something like that. Yeah, good point. Matt Barnes, he walks a lot of guys. He actually walked more guys last year than any of his previous full seasons. He had 4.52 walks per nine, but I think you would trade that because his strikeout per nine rose like four points. It rose from 10.72 in 2017 to 14.01 in 2018. So that's a significant jump. His, obvi- his results obviously were, were very palatable. He had that 365 ERA and the 271 FIP. Um, so the underlying numbers there are spectacular. Um, he did get hurt a little bit at the end there, and it kind of seemed like it messed with his overall performance because there was there was a stretch in the dog days of summer where he looked like he was our Craig Kimbrell. Um, he, he went like, I think, a month straight without allowing a run. Yeah, I mean, That's the like dude that. was impressive. Like, I mean, Joe Kelly didn't allow a run, what, in April or something? Where he had a very low ERA. And then Matt Barnes took over uh, in the summer, passed the baton mm-hmm. on. Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, 
well, Pakoda definitely agrees with you. The projects Matt Barnes for a, a sterling 2.50 ERA, which as I'm reading that, that sounds uh, – they are I'm not, very bullish on him. I am not that high on him. I hope I'm wrong, but like – boy, I do too. If Matt goodness. Barnes is that good, boy, we really don't need another – we don't need a closer. See, I bet you Dave Dombrowski seeing a similar thing in their own projection systems and their own analytics, and maybe they're like, you know what? We have Craig Kimbrell, and his name's Matt Barnes. Um, I can yeah, see that. A 1.3 warp, too. I, I, I do want to add to that. Like People are freaking out about the bullpen, and justly so there's not much depth to it right now, but there are some interesting players in there. Barnes, we just talked about, he's... Like he's been really good, and if he keeps it up, he's going to be, you know, fantastic. And apparently, some projection systems are even higher on him than I am. But there's him. I think Ryan Brazier is the real deal. I think if you go set eight and nine, Brazier Barnes, like that's that can get the job done, especially with our starting rotation. A lot of those guys can go deep into games, and they're not quite ready yet. But you know, you have Feltman in Double A. You have Hernandez. If you say, you know what? Darwin's and you're not going to be a starter just go to the bullpen there's two guys that can eat early innings for you Feltman could probably is probably ready to be the seventh inning guy right now but they're not going to do that because he needs to pitch at least a few months in the minors so I mean there's definitely a few interesting pieces Travis Lane is another one it's not as terrible as it looks although it definitely has room for improvement yeah, and especially if, if the Red Sox get some healthy version of Stephen Wright, I feel like he kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not uh, counting on Stephen Wright for anything. If he's there, yeah. that's a nice bonus. Don't count on a knuckleball. Stephen Wright to, uh, for closer. Tyler um, Thornburg for closer. It's a thought. Yeah, it's not a never great a thought, good, but a thought nonetheless. That's Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a thought Play nonetheless. For I mean, obviously, Marcus Walden projected to get 30 innings. Oh, it's not a good Jesus sign. Christ. But um, <laughs> you also, I'm looking at Ryan Brazier, and I feel like that's the guy that, outside of Matt Barnes, that a lot of Red Sox fans and pundits are looking at as this person who has the potential to be a quality setup guy and to be a late innings guy that uh, can serve as somewhat of a replacement to Craig Kimbrell. I think people are a lot more confident. Frazier came out of nowhere, burst onto the scene, and, and he, he did very well last year to his credit. But I want to know how trustworthy you feel about Ryan Brazier as a potential setup man in 2019. So I've definitely been on the Brazier bandwagon almost since it started. Uh, last year, as we were heading into the postseason, I said I was confident in the Red Sox bullpen which wasn't a popular opinion at the time. And a big reason for that was because of Ryan Brazier. The dude's got fantastic stuff, and he did come out of nowhere. But this isn't a case of, like, you know, some guy getting hot for a month or two. This is a guy who has fantastic stuff, and I'm just wondering how the league missed him for this long. I think he's a fantastic pitcher. I think he can be a really good setup man. So you'd like to have a bit if you brought in one more like decent arm, like if you brought in David Robertson a few months back, I wouldn't have any worries at all about this bullpen. It's not a lack of confidence in Barnes and Brazier. It's a lack of confidence in everyone else. Good point. Um, my thoughts, I, I don't know if you know this, my thoughts on Brazier are, are still a little wait and see um, in terms of how he develops. He obviously put together a great 33-inning stretch, but 
the underlying numbers can be cause for concern. The dude throws gas. I'm not. I'm not going to deny that. But he had a seven seven five K per nine, which is about average, and then a one point eight seven walks per nine, which is about average. His home run rate was unsustainably low, and that translated to three seventy eight x FIP. He doesn't elicit a lot of ground balls, so. I mean, there's a nice profile there, but there's also a lot of room for regression, and that's why Pakoda only projects him to accumulate a .4 warp, which, for reference, is the same amount they project Colton Brewer to accrue in, like, half the innings. So, Ryan Brazier, I'm still not sold that he can be the guy that, that a lot of people are starting to think he is. I think there's a good basis right there, but I mean, I feel like some of those home run balls are going to start to catch up to him, and he kind of will regress a little bit. I mean, his BABIP was 198. Like, we need to talk about that. A ma- uh, an average BABIP for relievers, like, it was 198 last year. That That is unsustainable times a million. So, yeah, Razor, I could see regressing hard, which kind of adds and accumulates the Red Sox bullpen woes. Further, I do think – oh, you got, you're going to chime in? My uh, my Ryan Brazier is that I like his attitude more so than anything else. I mean, he he, he was basically what was it, Gary Sanchez in the playoffs where he's telling him get yeah, back in the box, get in the effing box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that kind of attitude you need in a bullpen. Yeah, yeah. Like, he definitely has the mentality because if you look at like most pitchers around the leagues, you need to be a bit of a sociopath in order to make it work. And Brazier, he showed me. He's got he he's nuts enough. He's to go, got the balls to go out and you know get out in big moments. You know that doesn't necessarily show up on a spreadsheet or whatever. But you really do having the attitude does make a difference. I do believe in that. Let me ask you. Let's 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 move on for a second. Let, let me ask you a fun question. Who do you think is projected for the third most warp, which is just war, um, or no, I don't want to reduce it as war, but it's essentially war um, wins above replacement. Um, Pakota's or baseball projectors version of it. Who do you think is the third highest position player in terms of, of warp uh, projected for 2019? League wide or on the Red Sox? On the Red Sox, because I want to. I think it's pretty obvious that's going to be Betts and Martinez. But after that, who do you think it is? Position player? Um, give me Xander Bogarts. No, Ben Intendi. Ben Intendi will final answer. See, I thought Bogarts, and I'm surprised that Bogarts is projected for 2.4. And Devers, 2.2. But, yeah, Ben Teddy, you were right. He was 3.4. Um, but uh, Bogarts was incredible last year. I think they're prophesizing a, a significant drop in slugging percentage. He is projected for 442 slugging percentage. Obviously, he got over 500 last year. Um, so that is a that is a stark drop. And, and he was at 522 exactly um, slugging percentage in, in 2019. Which for a shortstop especially is incredible. But what? Why do you? Why do you think Pakoda sees him dropping as profusely as they do? I mean, for they they haven't projected to fall like eighty points in slugging. Yeah, so I do believe Bogarts will regress. I don't. I never meant like I always say. I think Mookie and JD are going to come down to earth a little bit. Bogarts is another one. I think last year was something of a career year for him. Because not only did he, you know, start the year out hot, which he did, but he stayed healthy the entire time, like throughout the entirety of the season, which for Bogarts is, you know, kind of a rare event. He usually has a power dip in the second half, whether it's injury or fatigue or whatever. I do think that he is going to drop, but I don't think it's as much as uh, 
they're projecting. I think um, Bogarts is, with Alex Cora, he's focused more on the launch angle, putting the ball in the air. I think there's a pretty natural uh, rise due to that. And really, the big question for me comes down to, can Xander Bogarts stay healthy in the second half again? That's my big question for him. <laughs> I think that is, uh, I think that's a lot of people's, been a lot of people's concerns with him, and, and he proved to be healthy last year, which is, which is awesome. But honestly, I, I think that it was a lot of signal and not a lot of noise about what he did last year. As you, you alluded to the goal, it was 12.7 degrees, which was way up in 2017, which was 8.2. His average exit velocity was 90.5, so he wasn't getting lucky. He was barreling 9.8% of balls. And meanwhile, his, his expected woe was basically the same as his WOBA. I think he's going to decline a little bit in the power department, but I don't think it's going to be stark. He was hitting the ball hard. Like, when he made contact, and he, and he obviously he made contact a lot, like, he was getting the res- he was reaping the results that he should have based on quality of contact. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on Bogarts to staying around where he was, and I think 2.4 warp is underselling uh, his contribution, especially give, touting him for a 442 slug, and I get it. His, his sl- highest slugging percentage before that was 446 in 2016. But this guy's an, a new player, a new hitter, and I think we're going to see a lot, of, a lot of good out of Bogarts. I hope so, but I do think that, like, it, I, I think 2018 was a career year for Bogarts. I don't think he's going to necessarily that good again. Like, I get that, like, it was a totally legit um, result. Like, he wasn't getting lucky with batted balls or anything, but I think just it was a year where everything went right for him from, like, a like at-the-plate standpoint. I think it's going to be tough for him to naturally that good again. Yes. No, I mean, I, I agree with that. I, I think the power is going to fall, as I said, but I, I still I still think Bogarts is 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 not going to be a 440 slugging percentage. I think you can expect close to 480. That, that's just my opinion. Um, but another... Benny's going to be better, though. I stand by that. And in terms of, are we like, talking about raw war? As a player. Benintendi's going to be better than Bogarts. So if, if we're using war as a barometer of who's better, I, I'm going to take Bogarts. All right, it's a bet. It's a bet. Oh my yeah. gosh, what are we betting? What are we wagering on? Um, if okay, at the end at the end of the season, if if injuries come into play, like if someone misses two months, bets off. But it's moot. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you have to like buy a Tom Brady jersey if it's Benny, and I have to buy a Sam Darnold one if it's Bogey. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm fine with it. It doesn't have to be like a legit NFL shop long. It can be okay, like a okay. shitty T-shirt, but yeah, you know. yeah, like a shirt. See, okay, okay. No, I'm down for this. I mean, I'm the guy who said if Jackie Bradley Jr.'s uh, OPS got over 700 at the end of the year, I'd buy a jersey. And, and you know, what and you I weren't even betting right anyone. You were betting no. the universe. <laughs> I was betting the universe, and, and by God, it happened, and I knew it was going to happen. So it's just a convenient excuse to get a JPJ jersey. Yeah, you want to hear something devastating though? What's up? Mookie Betts jersey? I got. I have a Mookie Betts jersey. I mean, why wouldn't I? I'm a Red Sox fan. And uh, I washed my the pen in one of my pants pockets. Oh, put no. It in the wa- put it in the dryer. Um, and it is just... And it's a red jersey, too. So, like, I can't bleach it. it there are just blue ink blotted stains all over it. And it costs, like, $100. And I'm pretty devastated about it, but... Just, just say, like, it's a, it's a combo of the blue and the red jerseys we wear. You're like, that, <laughs> that way, 
regardless of what we're going out in, unless we're going out in the whites, you've got you've got it covered. That is true. I'll say just a polka dotted uh, Mookie Betts theme jersey. Two for the yeah. price of one. Two for the price of one. Yeah, so that, that that's my life right now. It got on all, all my clothes in general, but that was the uh, biggest casualty, I'd say. Moral of the story, don't wash your clothes. Yeah, moral of the story, don't wash your clothes. Good lesson to be extracted from that. <laughs> um, Mitch Moreland, Steve Pierce. This is another compelling argument. Um, uh, I have Mitch Moreland projected for basically like 104 DRC+, plus, which let's just say that's WRC+. Plus. I feel like more people know what that is. So basically, he's projected to be a four percent uh, above the average major league hitter. Meanwhile, Steve Pierce is a hundred six DRC plus, um, so he's six percent above average hitter. And Moreland's projected to get about seventy more plate appearances, according to Bakota. Who do you think's going to end up the better hitter, Moreland or Pierce? Uh, I'm definitely going to go Pierce on this one. I think by now we know what the story with Mitch Moreland is. He's going to come out of the gate firing. He's going to be phenomenal. Everyone's going to say, oh, my God, this dude's legit. And then he's going to collapse in the second half like he always does. Um, Moreland is a very good fielder. He's a great platoon guy. But I think he's going to get a lot more playing time than he should. I think it's going to be primarily Moreland with a bit of Pearson. In reality, I think a better solution would be like maybe 60-40 in Pierce's favor. But I don't see that happening. You know, if I was managing the Red Sox, it would probably be 90-10. Pierce. If you were managing the Red Sox, you'd have to find a way to get Pierce to play like every position in bat one through nine. <laughs> hey, Jackie Bradley Jr. would get at least four for it. Okay, fine. Yeah. Jackie can hit it clean up. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean Steve Pierce. Like I, I we talk, we we kind of gloss over the peripheral school skills like defensive base running when having these conversations. I mean, I asked you directly about an offensive question, so it makes sense. But even in even in in that regard, I mean, Moreland's like touted as his Gold Glove you know, caliber first baseman, but Steve Pierce and Mitch Moreland, their defensive metrics last year, essentially the same. Like even over the past three years, essentially the same base running, essentially the same. And Pierce is a much better hitter. And I, and I, I will say that with conviction. Pierce is a much better hitter. He's the same against uh, righties. And everyone thinks Moreland's the, the righty hero and Pierce can't hit righties. He's only a lefty hitter. No, Pierce matches against lefties, but he is, he can hold his own against righties just as well as Mitch Moreland. Pierce should be playing. 90% of the time. And that's that's how I feel. 90 is a bit much, but yeah, 60 or 70 would make me happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like if you just like do like preliminary research into the guy's statistics like over their career and, and even more recently, it's just it's not even a question about who, who, is, who is the better player and who you know, projects to be better. Should make everyone happy. Put Moreland at first, Pearson right field, and just bench whoever the right fielder normally is. <laughs> oh yeah that would totally work out very well yeah i can't think of a single person who would have a problem with that idea no no no, no. i mean yeah now get yeah. real get real freaky with it uh put mookie at second oh no i'm actually on i guess i'm on board i don't know no you're no, not you're not on board, board. just i look i saw mookie Betts before he was mookie Betts in uh greenville and he played some second base. Um, and this is when he obviously was playing second base, and the dude could field. Like, that's what I extracted when I was I like mean, he can He 14. can do everything. I'm not denying that. And he could be a great, he could be a gold glove second baseman, but keep, keep him in right. Right field matters more than second. Does and it? Mitch, I mean, I, I think so. Middle and, like, 
obviously middle infielders are important, but second base is highly overrated. You know, I think I would you think don't second need, base is the more valuable position. Maybe not in Fenway, but um, in, Fen- in right you got to factor in Fenway. Yeah, like, I mean that's what I was thinking. That, the outfield is such a nightmare. Like playing that part of it. Yeah, but, but like on a neutral field, I would think the second base is a little bit more valuable defensively yeah, but speaking. You can afford to live with a bad defensive second baseman. I mean, uh, people who watch Eduardo Nunez for parts of the year at second base may disagree. I mean, we won the World Series, so who the hell cares? Watch Brock Holt and Zue Lin, then. They can do a fine enough job. Oh, yeah, but they're, they're pretty good defenders. I mean, Holt's okay, and Zue Lin is, my gosh, he's perfect. Yeah. I, I love Lin's sanity. What, I love Lin's sanity. He's fun. Let's move on to him. Let's talk about him. He, uh, <laughs> I have to scroll up here. Um, he's projected for... Uh, let's see, plate appearances, 31 plate appearances at second base. So he's like a little bit of everywhere. And then 61 at shortstop and then nowhere else. He's projected for a total warp of negative 0.2. So, Oh um, no. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, I I now know that, that, uh, clearly Pakoda is just throwing dark trash. It's trash. They don't know what they're doing. If you're going to give Zui Lin a negative point two, why? Well, we should just erase this Pure whole episode. This unadulterated point. crap. Let's just yeah. shut down the website. The fact we'd Let's ever just entertain shut down the this website. notion. This is ridiculous. I mean, the it's thing over. Was, it's over. Yeah, go, I mean, go, listen a, po- go listen to Socks. Go listen to Socks beer or something. We're done. <laughs> Dave, uh, I, I'm, this is going to hurt me to tell you, but Joe Zui Lin was worth zero war last year in 73 plate appearances. Well, 73 plate appearances, duh, but, like, no, the dude's got <laughs> skill, okay? Zhu Weilin, like, I love I love me some Brock Holt, but this is the last year of the Brock Holt experience. Zhu Weilin's taken over that role in 2020. He's only 24, and I find that fascinating, because I feel like he's been, like, on, on the per- in the purview for quite some time, but he's he's very young, still. But I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not banking on Zhu Weilin for much, to be <laughs> honest. He's, he's nice. I like Zoey Lynn. I like Zoey Lynn in seriousness, but like I wouldn't trust him to be an everyday second baseman. Maybe a oh god, no! Don't don't take that out of what I'm saying here. Like I think he can be a nice utility guy. That's it. Yeah, I think that's where he tops out. I don't think we're ever going to get a regular kind of starting role. But okay, we're going to move to the rotation here because it's been very position player centric, and I like to be diverse. Um, Chris Sale obviously is going to be the best pitcher, but who's which? I mean, like. All the next four starters, we have David Price, pagoda wise, projected with a 392 ERA, 1.9 warp. Rick Porcello, 388 ERA, 2.1 warp. Nathan Avoldi, 4.07 ERA, 1.5 warp. And Eduardo Rodriguez, 3.71 ERA, 1.8 warp. Who's the most valuable? Who's going to be the most valuable in 2019? I think it's going to go Price, Avoldi, Porcello, Erod. Obviously, all behind Sale because Chris Sale. You said, okay, Price, Porcello, Avoldi, Erod? Uh, swap of Aldi and Porcello. Okay. I mean, the thing is, Porcello inherently is, gets more value because he just pitches so many innings. And I, I, I'm, I am, I'm high on, I'm high on Aldi though. Like, oh, you know, very, very much, uh, very so high on Aldi because like everyone says, well, look at his career numbers. He's not as good as he was with the Red Sox. And that is a dirty lie because before Avaldi, like before 2018, he never used a cutter. He started exactly. that with the Rays, and he just became an entirely different pitcher. It's his best pitch, and it's not going anywhere. 
And to anyone that says, oh, well, his postseason run was aided by batted ball luck, you're right, it was. It, he shouldn't have been as good as he was. But his regular season, where he was still good, he was getting unlucky with batted balls. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think his FIP in the re- FIP in the regular season was 271, and in the postseason, it was 269 or something like that. He was basically the same guy. So I don't see why that's going to change in 2019. Oh, hey, Dave, completely agree with you. I am a huge Nathan Voldy advocate. Um, I think he, if, if, if we're talking about especially like pure ceiling, I think Avoldi has the highest potential maybe out of all four of them. That might be controversial because David Price obviously can top out, and we've seen it before. But I would rank it Price, Porcello, Avoldi, Rodriguez. Be a little conservative because I know Rick Porcello is going to toss 200 innings. Of he's a maybe, safer floor. Yeah, he's a safer floor. And, and I, I'm going to be like the projections. I'm going to be conservative and say – Porcello will will probably accrue more more value, just especially like war. Spe- speaking of war, so that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, poor so, Eddie though, um, coming in last. Yeah, I think. Uh, gosh, Eddie, if he could stay healthy, if he if he could stay healthy and pitch more than five point two innings every game, like he'd be. He he is the stuff to really be something, but. Like, can he actually put it together? Because if he can, we have the best rotation in, well, maybe not the best, but one of the best rotations in baseball, one to five. I feel like six innings is like an Eduardo Rodriguez litmus test. Like, if he's getting past six innings, then you know he's going to be an all-star. But he just, he never Because it's like, all of the, like, basic, like, stereo-in-the-face numbers tell you Eduardo Rodriguez is a really good pitcher, and I'd agree with them. It's just then you look at the innings count, and it's always like 5.1, 5.2, 4.2, 6, 5.1. And it's just like, just go a little bit farther in the game, Eddie. You're almost there. Yeah, that was it was very frustrating, especially in the, in the beginning of the year. He was up there with our best pitcher. Like I think there was a point when we were talking about him in the number two conversation for the Red Sox. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Sale was unparalleled, but like he was doing better than Price for a while there, and you know better than Porcello and better than you know Drew Pomerantz, but that's a really low bar. Oh, Drew! Yeah, we had to make a Drew Pomerantz illusion, but yes, um, yeah, I think I think Eduardo Rodriguez uh, is is, is going to be good on a by rate basis, like he usually is, and he's improving his stuff. His number, his like strikeouts per nine, has been improving every single year. He's we walked less people last year. He gave up less home runs in twenty seventeen. Like everything under the surface is, is looking good. Yeah, and if you really want to like talk about like the injury woes, like 2016, 2017, it was a knee thing, and that's like sort of uh it has the ability to come back. But in twenty eighteen, what got him was a freak collision at first base. That's not a repeatable circumstance. That's not something that says, well, every year around July, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to get pile-drived by a guy going to first. Like, that was a fluke play by Swihart making a bad throw because he shouldn't have been at first base to begin with. If it weren't for that, maybe he stays healthy a whole season and he finally, you know, crosses the 140 inning mark or whatever it is he seemingly never reaches. So, 140, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, do you remember, like, after he came back from the injury, how, like, tepid he was to actually run to first base? Yeah, you could see he was... I, I wonder I, if that carries over. Right. Now, it wasn't I, quite right. I, I, I think th- it, was, it was fear, honestly. I think it was fear. I think it was definitely a little bit of nerves. But, like, 
I don't know, watching what he did in the World Series makes me feel pretty confident. You look at the final stat line, and it was five innings, four runs, so not great. But, you know, three of those four runs came in the fifth inning, and Eddie hadn't thrown, like, more than 20 pitches in one going in over a month, and Cora decided that he could get near 100 pitches, which I don't know why that was a thing, but it was. So that was a, it was a really good start by Eddie. It was encouraging, and, you know, I, I think with a full off season to, like, get his body into shape, get over the collision. I, I'm expecting great things. He's already down at spring training practicing with Vasquez. So I, I really do hope that Eddie can finally like put it together and be- play up to his ceiling because his ceiling is just as good as anyone outside of sales on the, ro- on the roster. Yeah, no, totally agree. Uh, and, and Nathan Voldy in my mind, I think they're comparable. Um, but yeah, that's, that's going to do it for our projection frenzy. I mean, that, that was fun. <laughs> We had a good time doing that. Um, do you have a departing thought before we get into this interview? Uh, departing thoughts. Um, Red Sox organization, if you're listening to me, don't make Darwin's and Hernandez a reliever quite yet. Let him, give, let him still try to start. Yeah, um, retweet on what Dave said. Um, but yes, also coming up on the, after I speak these next few sentences, you're going to listen to a very, very fun conversation with Matt Collins of Over the Monster. So please stick around to listen to that. Um, yeah, guys, thanks for listening and enjoy the interview. Hello and welcome, guys. We are joined with SB Nation's uh, Over the Monsters, Matt Collins. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. We're excited to talk some Red Sox baseball with you still in the thick of the offseason well actually we're coming out towards the end of the offseason and into spring training here so it's a good time to have you on there's a there's some good juicy stuff to talk about um so but before we get to that i do want to ask you about your career um obviously you've been writing for over the monster for some time sb nation and i want to know how you actually got into sports writing and, and particularly um how you found your way to uh, over the monster. It's not really anything super interesting, I guess. I don't know. I uh, thought I wanted to be a sports writer when I was in high school. And then I kind of talked to some people and they were like, yeah, everybody says that. And I kind of just forgot about it. And then in college, I kind of got introduced to the online sports blog scene, figured I might be able to do that. And then uh, sophomore year of college, I just started doing it. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it because I wanted to see if I could make it without like, people that knew that I was doing it just telling me I was good. I figured <laughs> anybody's going to be honest. It's going to be strangers on the internet. So uh, <laughs> I thought one. I'd do it for a few months and quit. And then, uh, but eventually, um, there used to be a site that's affiliated with ESPN in some way, a firebrand of the American League. Pretty sure they don't exist anymore, but they were pretty big back when I started. Um, they gave me a couple breaks. It kind of got me out there a little bit. A couple years went by, and uh, Mark Normandon, who used to run OTM, asked me to start writing for them, and I did. I wrote for them for a few years, and then Mark left, and uh, Ben Buchanan, who was the co-manager, left shortly after him, and uh, I was fortunate enough to take over. And it's been a couple of years now. And like I said, when I started, I thought it was going to last like three months. So it's been 
eight years now. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So you're you're a veteran. Yeah, I started uh, right before the 2011 season. Okay, okay. So you've been in this blog game for a while. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't really feel like that long until... I, re- I inter- When I interviewed for OTM, the guy, I, the guy read my resume and said I've been doing it for like six years or something. I was like, oh, that can't be right. And I looked at my resume. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. <laughs> so you got like a decade and a half worth of blogging experience. Sports well, blogging not, experience. Not, not a decade and a half. Almost okay. A Almost a decade. Okay. So I, I know that Over the Monster is a very comprehensive Red Sox site. It's personally one of my, my favorites. Um, you guys do a great job of combining analytics with a uh, good old-fashioned commentary. But I was wondering if you guys actually – do you guys cover games in person or are you guys kind of more behind the scenes? How does that work? No, I've never uh, gotten a press pass. I haven't offered them before. Um, to be honest, it's not really something I'm super interested in. Um, okay. First of all, I don't live in Boston. I live in Portland, Maine. So just getting to Fenway is kind of a pain. Yeah. Um, and also, I just, I don't know. I don't really like the idea. Like I used to think about going because I go to Sea Dogs games all the time. Obviously, I live like five minutes away. Um, but I used to think about getting press passes just so I wouldn't have to pay. But I figure <laughs> if I'm going to a baseball game, I want to enjoy it. I want to like have a beer or something. So. <laughs> yeah, you, you want you want to get the beer, you want to get the hot dog. I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not something I've ever really wanted to do. No, that makes sense. Um, so now we'll we'll just jump into some Red Sox questions here. Um, Dave, you want to fire them off? All right. So um, Matt, obviously spring training is right around the corner, and the Red Sox have basically decided to just um, go in with the same team again as it is right now, do you anticipate another signing happening between now and the start of uh, spring training when it really picks up? I still kind of feel like they're going to get Kimbrell back. Um, if it's not Kimbrell, I don't think it's going to be anybody. At least, I mean, they'll sign more minor league deals, but uh, nothing major. But I don't know. This Kimbrell thing just seems a lot like J.D. Martinez last year where kind of seeing who's going to blink first. And um, The Phillies just got Real Muto, so they're kind of going all in. Maybe they might up their offer to Kimbrel and finish that off. But if not, I, I still have a feeling they're getting Kimbrel. The Phillies could theoretically get David Robertson, Craig Kimbrel, and Sir Anthony Dominguez. That just doesn't seem fair. <laughs> well, I mean, the game. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a good point. Never yeah. mind. Good counter. I'll, I'll withdraw. <laughs> uh, so if it is uh, the Red Sox getting Kimbrel, how long do you think the deal's going to be? Is it going to be uh, the long-term thing Kimbrel wants, like three, four years? Or do you think it's going to be like a one-year deal and then Kimbrel hits the market again? I wouldn't. I kind of still think it's going to be three. I could see like a two-year deal where Kimbrel can opt out after the first year to kind of save a little face. But um, I don't know. I wouldn't really be surprised at anything at this point. I mean, maybe he'll just take a one-year deal and say I'm going to dominate this year, and then I won't have a qualifying offer next year to hurt my value. But this whole yeah. is crazy. I really don't know how to judge contracts anymore. Yeah, I'm in <laughs> the don't. same boat. Like. I thought last year was kind of like a one-year uh, kind of fluke aberration because the free agent class, by and large, wasn't anything special. But this year was supposed to be like, you know, they've been talking about it for years and nothing's happened. So it, it is weird, definitely. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of how it always goes. And it's, I mean, it's not even just baseball. You see it in like NBA drafts and NFL drafts where you always hype up the classes that are coming. And then when it finally shows up, 
you start hearing about the next classes. Like we're already hearing about the bets and trout clause. We're hearing about Arenado next year. It's like you have Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sitting right there. 26 year old superstar. <laughs> I don't know why we're looking ahead. Uh, good point. So, um, with Craig Kimbrell obviously dominating the Red Sox discourse this offseason, um, I think we have literally talked about it on every podcast. We can't escape it. But um, <laughs> I, I want to know, like, do you think it would be, as obviously relative to contract terms, but you think the Red so- it's in the Red Sox' best interest, theoretically, if they signed him to a three-year, let's say $20 million per year deal or close to that 15 mil? Yeah, I think I think they should do it. Um well, I guess I should say, if I was running the Red Sox, I would do it. But if it's going to stop them from signing guys like Betts and Sale and Bogarts and Martinez when the time comes, um, then no, they shouldn't do it. But that would mean that they're super worried about the luxury tax, which I don't think they should be for a whole myriad of reasons. But um, yeah, I mean, I think they have their chips in right now. You pay the luxury tax now you pay the penalties now and then you deal with tomorrow when that comes and especially the cba is running out in a couple of years and everything's about to change we have no idea what baseball is going to look like in a couple of years that's mm-hmm. a good that's a good point yeah matt i read one of uh the articles you wrote it was maybe a month or two back it was basically you arguing why the red Sox should just kind of go all in uh you know throw caution to the wind and like kind of eschew the luxury tax before i read that i was very much on the like no roll bandwagon just because he's going to cost a lot of money and we've got a lot of guys we need to pay but you really brought up a good point i felt in terms of like you know the red sox can afford this it's only money and relative to the rest of the leagues uh the major sports there basically isn't a penalty for going over it like i think we spent 12.5 million in a luxury tax fines which is yeah, pocket for the red sox it's what they're paying rusnay castillo is what they paid in the luxury tax. <laughs> it's, it's nothing. And they move, you move 10 spots back in the draft. But I mean, when you're picking like in the last five, you're talking about, there's not a big talent difference in the, it's like between 400 and $500,000. It's not nothing, but when you're it's all in much, trying yeah. to win right now, yeah, you don't let that stand in the way of the championship. Yeah. So yeah, like, do you, do you see the luxury tax as more of this symbolic thing that teams are trying to get under then? Because, I mean, like, obviously oh, the Red absolutely. Sox... Yeah, okay. Because the Red Sox ownership are way has, over. Yeah, ownerships have, like, totally dominated the narrative of what the luxury tax is. And, I mean, people are buying into it, and they're convincing. I mean, there's a good example is if you... Even, like, beat writers keep bringing up this international money that teams lose when they go over the luxury tax, which doesn't exist. But it's just, I don't know where it came from, but everybody thinks that they lose international money for going over the luxury tax. And it's very strange to me that everybody thinks that. Yeah, I, I have heard that before, and I never really challenged it. I just, I, I well, that, blindly I mean, like, accepted it as fact. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I don't want to throw out any names, but a few big Red Sox guys started doing it. And then um, I was like, I kept going back to the rule book and like going to MLB.com and I couldn't see anything. And I was like, am I going insane? And <laughs> like, no, this it's just the traffic. But oh, still, yeah. I need to about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah. along the lines of something uh, along, uh, with your work, I 
was reading your article, I think it was today, about um, Raphael Devers, and you had a profile on him on Over the Monster, um, and you asked, you posed the question, can Raphael Devers become a more disciplined hitter? And in the article, you stated that he is probably the guy you're most excited to watch in 2019. Uh, could you explain why to me? Uh, he's like the only unfinished product, I guess. Um, like he's, we've had these waves of prospects, the Bogarts, the Betts, the Bradleys, Eduardo Rodriguez, Swihart worked out. Uh, Devers is kind of the last one for a little while and he's not there yet, but he, I mean, this is a legitimate superstar talent who hasn't quite made it yet. And I think, I mean, I've been watching sports my whole life and the things I remember the most beyond like just championship seasons is watching stars grow from the beginning of their career. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't want to say it definitely will be, but this feels like it could be the year that we see Devers step into the spotlight and be like, Oh yeah, that's the guy we were waiting for. Do you have any statistical evidence that kind of points you in the direction that like he took a leap towards that direction in 2018? Not really. And I don't even know that he's going to make the leap this year. Um, and he's what, 22, I think. Very um, young. 22. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes him another year or two. But I mean, I just think, I mean, we've all seen it. It's more of like an eye test kind of thing, to be honest. It's like, you see him go through these flashes where he is that guy. Obviously, we all remember that Homer off Chapman. And I mean, it's just little things like that. It's like, no, it's in there. It's just a matter of staying disciplined. Yeah, with the play discipline, but even to like just in general, it's like kind of not letting the moment get to you. And I mean, that's hard to overcome. It's a lot easier said than done. Or you can get Chipotle gift cards as an incentive. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it work. This year. I don't know if he'll be getting any uh, Chipotle gift cards. He's trying. Okay. To okay. Out. Yeah. Like yeah. I um. Piece. Matt, you mentioned you lived in Portland. Uh, I actually used to live right across the street from the Sea Dogs back when Devers was down there. I fell in love with him from day one. Like the first game I saw him at, he like launched one of the hardest doubles I've ever seen that I'm surprised didn't put a hole in the right field fence, and he launched a homer the same day. And I'm like, oh my god, this kid legit saw him a few more times at portland so i'm definitely with you i think that he's uh got an incredibly bright future ahead of him i'm very high on him i think he can be the second best bat in this lineup behind mookie um but i really oh. expect yeah that's that's that a fairly hot idea? take for me that's wild Over i mean Jenny maybe not this day? year not not this year but 2020 if he's oh, okay. still here i think so Wow! Like right. I think I, I think his ceiling as a hitter is higher than JD's, is, but not in 2019. Should have clarified that, but right. I did. Yeah, but um, <laughs> that I. Yeah, no, I, I the sky is really the limit with that kid. The way I see him, but um, yeah, I just uh, I re I think it was Chris Mason or somebody wrote an article today that uh, Devers ba basically said that um he he acknowledged that he was hurt more than he should have been last year, and a lot of it was due to the weight, and he spent the entire offseason just getting in shape and i guess um people that have seen him like work out he looks faster he looks thinner he looks more toned so i'm really excited to see what devers can do next year i think he has all-star potential in 2019 with the chance of being a superstar by 2020 yeah, yeah. i would just caution that this is the time of year where we're going to hear that about everybody <laughs> yeah but i want I, I want to fall in love so oh, i'm with you i'm with you <laughs>
Nor- uh, normally, I w- normally those warning lights would go off, but I'm I'm just <laughs> skewing it and just going into Raphael Tevers fever. <laughs> That's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, what do you think uh, along the lines of I guess guys who are trying to get in shape this offseason and get back to baseball ready performance? Uh, Dustin Madroya. What kind of role do you envision him playing with the 2019 Red Sox? Obviously, um, it's hard to predict injuries, but do you see him having a role or an even even an integral role with the team? I mean, I think that's the plan. Um, I mean, I don't think he's going to be like every day, 155 games kind of guy. But I think they are hoping for... 100 to 115 games with Brock Holt kind of filling in the gaps. Um, whether or not he can do that, I really don't know. It's hard to say. I'm, I was really confident at the start of the offseason. And as time's gone on, I'm kind of like, he's, I kind of feel like he's going to get hurt again. It's just, he's at that age. Second base is a position where guys break down weirdly right. fast. Um, so I think he'll be solid. When he's healthy, like a league average bat, still above average with the glove, even if he's not his old self. Um, it's just a matter of how much he's going to be able to play. Where do you think Eduardo Nunez fits into that second base shuffle, or even at all? A little bit, but I think he's going to get most of his time at third. Um, he's just so clearly more comfortable at third base and second. He's I, I love Eduardo Nunez, but he might be the worst second baseman I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird, because, I mean, you would think it would be easier to play second base marginally than third base, because you have a lot Sounds further like way to throw. Yeah. I guess yeah, you, got you, need, range. Yeah. you need more range at second, and Nunez is, like, you know, as slow as, like, a dead horse, so... Well, that's the thing. He's actually... I mean, he was... Speed was always his thing. That knee injury really kind of screwed yeah. him up year i think all over the place but yeah i mean he doesn't have the range he doesn't really have the instincts to play there like he's he's quick on his feet he can play third base because it's all reactions but middle infield you kind of need to like be more into the game a little bit oh that's not fair i shouldn't say he's not into the game but yeah more situationally aware yeah 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 and he's i mean that's what i have to compare myself to a major league player but i was a third for it. <laughs> i couldn't play Bill infield but i had quick reactions and i mean i feel like that's what nunez is it's just it's a way it's a different skill set yeah for sure um so i know you got, this is also the time of year where we're embellishing but it's also time of the year where we're spending way not maybe maybe not way too much but we're spending a lot of time talking and hoping and romanticizing about prospects who could have an impact um, which guy do you see having a potential impact with the Red Sox in 2019? Uh, I mean, there's a few. Um, I get. I would say the bullpen guys are the most obvious. Um, Herbert Feltman, Travis Lake, and Starwinton Hernandez are kind of the big three. Um, I haven't seen Hernandez or Feltman. I should be able to see both of them in Portland this year, and I'm excited about that. Um, obviously the scouting reports are off the charts. Yeah. I'm excited about them, but I'm trying to keep my expectations low. I, I feel like the idea that they're going to come up and be like these late inning arms right away, especially Hernandez with those control problems. Um, it's kind of high in the sky. Um, Lakens is a guy I have seen a couple times. 
though mostly as a starter. I like him a lot. I don't think he's like an eighth or ninth inning guy, but I think at his peak, he could find kind of be a seventh inning guy. And this year he could come up relatively early and be like kind of like in the workman and Hambry-ish kind of role. Just be solid. Um, other than that, I guess Chavis would be the other one. I'm a huge, huge Michael Chavis guy. The bat, I'm 100% in on. Um, <laughs> it's just I don't, I don't know where he's going to play. But as long as yeah. he's in, I, I think he's going to hit wherever he is. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, where do you see him playing? Um, because it's a little clogged up in the infield. I mean, I could see potentially in 2020 as a first baseman uh, when Moreland and Pierce, I believe, are both expired. Their contract expired. Um, but yeah, second base is a possibility. Um, I don't see, I don't think he's good enough to play anywhere full time. Yeah. I kind of would like to see him just be like, I don't think he's second base at all. I don't think he could play there. Um, but I, I wouldn't mind to see him like first, third, left field, DH, just kind of rotate around, fill in for everybody. I think that would be the ideal role for him. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so I got one last question for you and then maybe Dave will have one. Um, so again, uh, spring training, February 22nd is the first spring training organized game. And obviously we have pitchers and catchers reporting. Um, I want to know what kind of battles you're interested in, even if they exist in general, um, what are you looking for in spring training? I mean, the catchers obviously are going to be the big story who stays, who goes, assuming everybody stays healthy. Um, I'm interested in all of these relievers. They signed the um, Zach Putnam, Domingo Tapia, Andre Mejia, Colton Brewer, who they traded for, um, Josh Taylor, Bobby Pointer, all these guys on the minors. The bullpen is an absolute mess, which everybody already knows. Um, somebody's going to really impress us in spring training, so... I'm interested to see who that's going to be and whether or not they're going to totally disappoint us once the regular season starts, because that's usually how it goes. Yeah, I was going to ask you, who do you think is the Sam Travis of, of this year? <laughs> <laughs> Sam Travis is still around. Sam Travis is still yeah. the Sam Travis of this year. <laughs> He'll be the Sam Travis of 20. I cannot he's wait for him fan. to knock 20 homers in like a week. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's lights it on fire every year. Grapefruit League Babe Ruth. And then he goes back to Triple A. Grapefruit yeah, and then he goes to AAA and his ground ball rate's like 60%. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Dave, you got any final questions? Um, yeah, I've got one one more. So um, Bobby Dahlbeck's one of the spring training invitees, non-roster guys. Uh, I just wanted to know your thoughts on him. And uh, obviously, he's not going to break camp by any means. He's hardly played in AA. But what do you feel of him as a prospect? Because he's like his bat has all the talent in the world, but there's a lot of holes in his uh swing in his game they still needs to work out uh what do you think his future is yeah i'm i'm not a huge dollback guy um i saw him a couple times towards the end of last year and i'm a little worried that i just saw him on a couple bad days and it's really clouding my judgment but he just i used to him a breaking ball and he was just had no idea what was going on um i mean i saw a couple foul balls that he hit i can see the power and he's a big guy he's really good defensively i don't i kind of feel like he gets a little underrated for that like that guy if he comes up he's moving devers off there for sure um he's way better there but he's carrying like a 30 percent strikeout rate 
in the minors. Yeah, that's a bit over that. Ages. So, yeah, he's got, I mean, Chavis had that problem. He figured it out. So, Dahlbeck definitely could. But the other thing I think we forget about is Dahlbeck is older than Chavis. Um, so, I mean, the ceiling is there. I just, I think he's more likely to hit his floor than his ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that because um, I actually saw I saw Dahlbeck a few times in Portland too, and I sort of had the reverse experience where um, I think his I was at his first game where he uh, hit two homers and I think his first three at bats, and like one of them like basically landed on two ninety five, and I'm like, oh my god, this guy is legit. He's like the next Babe Ruth. He's Hank Aaron. He's Barry Bonds. He's everything you could ever hope for. But then I watched a few more games, and like you said, he can't hit a curveball to save his life. Uh, strikeouts way too much, especially at the minor leagues. I mean, he, he's probably is, in my, my opinion, a higher ceiling than Chafis, but I, I'm with Absolutely. you. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to quite reach that. So you, one can hope, but you know, yeah. I think in the Arizona league, he did something like he hit, tw- I think he hit something like seven homers, but he struck out 44% of the time, which is the most Bobby Dahlbeck thing that's ever happened. <laughs> I was a little surprised he wasn't traded this year, to be honest. It kind of felt like a very Dombrowski move to trade him right now. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, I think if, like, either he or Chafis get, like, really hot around the deadline, one of them's gone and the other's the next uh, the next uh, one up. So him and Nick Northcutt, I don't think Nick Northcutt's long for this world either. They have a million third basemen right now. Yeah. Yeah, so we can send a few away and not feel too bad about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure. Uh, so I'm going to drop your Twitter handle. Correct me if it, it's wrong so people can follow you. It's at M-R-Y Collins. Uh, Matt R-Y Collins. But, uh, Matt R-Y Collins. I really don't talk about baseball on that account, so you don't have to follow me there. You can just follow the follow over, over the monster. Account. Yeah, you tweet on there a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you tweet good stuff. We enjoy it. Thank you. If you're follow if you're following us, you're probably following him. But if you're not following him, there's yeah. great content over there. Exactly. If you read Red Sox and Filter, there's no way you don't read over the monster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, man. You too. Thanks again for Matt Collins coming on the this episode of the Red Sox and Filter podcast. He was great. Um, as you said, he can follow him on Twitter. Um, at Over the Monster. You just look, type in Over the Monster in the search engine, and he tweets from there frequently, and they have a lot of good stuff. Go visit OverTheMonster.com. It is the best Red Sox site on the interwebs. Um, it's better than Red Sox Unfiltered, haha, which is our site. But yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at Both Sox Unfiltered, and you can listen to us on this podcast on a variety of places, a variety of media, including Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And if our affiliate, uh, the Googling Truth, posts us, you can hear us on more, like iHeartRadio. So check us out, guys. Um, As always, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week. Go Red Sox. need to just do like a blooper gonna, reel gonna, like gonna create just a blooper like <laughs>
No, we're fine. We're fine. <laughs> please tell please tell me you started recording and we yes. get that on the book. Yes, already. I did. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> bacon. Oh wow, delicious. You're making pre interviews. Oh, oh, oh fucker. No, there isn't. Hold on. Sir, could you please refrain from burning the building down while we're trying to podcast? Uh, I'll, I'll be more considerate and not burn my house down. <laughs> yeah, you probably don't want to do that either. Yeah. It would be really rude of me. <laughs> I heard a child. Well, Can you to... have kids at a, at a more convenient time, you know? I mean... <laughs> It's, Be it, a dad somewhere else. At least, <laughs> at least we're not putting pots away at nine fifty-six. True. <laughs> <laughs> we're not fired. putting pots away. We're not. We're not burning the house to the ground. <laughs> there have been a few times, and it's. I'm sad to say, it's more than once where I've been sick, and I thought to myself, "Well, alcohol, you know, kills things. Can it kill germs faster than it can than it can kill me?" And the test was uh, pretty conclusive that no, it can't. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're okay now. I guess. Have you yeah. guys? Have you yeah, guys? Have you guys perused my... vodka? Does vodka does, does not get rid of the common cold? No, I don't imagine it would. Uh, I've heard blackberry brandy does pretty well. I have heard that too, but I went to school in Durham, New Hampshire, so we didn't exactly have that lying around. Oh, okay, I feel you. Yeah. It's like I had vodka or I had like natty ice, so. Yeah, I would I would have chosen vodka of those two as well. Yeah, I was basically raised on vodka when I was a sophomore. Uh, the kid that got me all my booze. <laughs> no, when I was a sophomore, the kid that got me all my booze, like he could only get vodka for some reason. So I'm like, well, it's this or nothing. So. So is that carried over into your he adult life? Only... Tastes like water to me. Really good times. He's the guy filling much... the water bottle. Ah. Is that is that yeah, what you were really drinking when you said you were gonna drink a glass of water? No, no, um, that was really that was really water. Okay. I've calmed down since my wild youth. <laughs>